there, history fans. And welcome back to the History Explains It All podcast, where we cover a variety of historical topics from the Stone Age to the Modern Age. I'm Lauren. I'm Melissa. And on today's episode, we are covering the elusive Jack Shepard. Georgian escape artist, I like to call him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode. <laughs> Feel free to leave us a rate and review on apple Podcasts. that way people can find us you can also contact us through our email at history explains all at gmail.com you can also go to our facebook and instagram pages which is history explains it all underscore podcast yes and you can visit our instagram pages for our today in history segment as well as our archaeology in the news segment and to vote on upcoming episode topics yay Shall we just hop right in? Go right ahead. Sure. There's not a lot on the early life of Jack Shepard, to be honest. Like, he didn't live very long. So (laughs) it's a very short segment. Uh, Jack Shepard was born on March 4th, 1702 in London, particularly in the neighborhood of Spittlefields. I keep saying that. It's Spittlefields. The S is at the end of the D. London. This neighborhood was rather well known for being seedy. It is where the highwaymen and a lot of the whorehouses were located. Therefore, a lot of people actually thought he had a bad start to life. However, he actually started out with a legal form of gaining money. He was apprenticed to a carpenter, and it was five years into his his apprenticeship before he went in the opposite direction and started his life of crime. Why don't you talk about that life of crime, Melissa? That's all in his early life? The whole minute? Yeah, a whole minute, because to be honest, he didn't live that long. There's nothing much like written about what he did before his life of crime. I mean, he lived into his late 20s, and that was about it. Before I get into his escapes and his reasons for being arrested multiple times, so there was a, a local bar before he actually started committing crimes, and he fell in love with one of the barmaids there who he's like, I don't have any money. I'm not making enough money. <laughs> Just why don't you start stealing things? And he did. And then he stole small things. And then he stole slightly larger things. And then he stole even more things. And then eventually he was arrested on the egging on of his girlfriend. So all in all in his career, which was maybe roughly a year tops, Jack was caught stealing and arrested five different times between 1723 and 1724 and he escaped four of those times he wasn't a great thief but he was a phenomenal escape artist and because of his very successful escapes it actually made him very popular amongst the poor and lower classes kind of a robin hood-esque figure except without giving the money back to the poor so during his very early career there was a thief taker general named Jonathan Wilde is sort of a self-appointed title of sorts and he was known so the police at the time as is common with a lot of police at any point in history was quite corrupt also in it and so Jonathan Wilde decided to sort of take the law into his own hands and start capturing the thieves but what was not 
known from a lot of people at the time is that Jonathan Blonde himself was sort of the kingpin mastermind of the criminal world. So kind of like a Moriarty, sort of. And Jonathan Wilde would be would lead into Jack Shepard's first arrest and obviously leading to his first escape attempt. So Jonathan Wilde kind of got to a point where we, he became so well known. What he would do is he would work with the other criminals and help them steal stuff. And then when there was a bounty or something put up, say a reward saying, hey, if you turn the money in, we'll give you this much money or return, <laughs> you return our stuff, we'll give you the reward. And he would actually turn in his fellow criminals and then turn in the, the items to get the reward. So again, like I see kind of big kingpin criminal mastermind and people thought, oh, he's just getting these criminals arrested. He's a really good guy, but he's actually just snitching on his cohorts and, and getting the money in return. So eventually he started, started making a protection racket. You pay me and I make sure you don't go to jail or at least stay in jail for very long. And Jack, when he started getting a little bit of notoriety for his stealing, but before he officially got arrested, Wilde actually said, hey, join me. It won't be quite so bad. And Jack says, no, no, thanks. I'm actually going to do this on my own. And he would go and he would steal things and he would fence them under, not under Wilde's protection. So it didn't always kind of end well. So Wilde, who's obviously not used to getting a no from anybody, decides to have one of his underlings pretend to hang out with Shepard at a local bar. But what Shepard didn't know was that the underling was spying for Wilde. And soon this underling actually squealed on Shepard to the local police that were nearby and then got him arrested for fencing stolen goods. And during his first arrest, he happened to be placed in a cell on the top floor of the jail at the St. Giles Roundhouse, where he was actually able to make a hole in the ceiling because it was more kind of like a thatched roof and then make his way out of the cell through the roof and off the jailhouse grounds. Unfortunately, because he's got manacles and shackles on, he was kind of a bit loud about doing it. And it attracted a crowd from passersby to look at the jailhouse where it looked like somebody was escaping from it. However, despite being in irons, he was able to mingle amongst the crowd. Jack was very short for the time. Well, I guess short in today's standard, tall for the average man at the time. He was about five foot three, five foot four, maybe. But he was very small. He was, he, he was under five and a half feet, slightly built, very youthful, but charismatic. So when he escaped, he was actually able to mingle amongst the crowd that had gathered to try to watch this person who was trying to escape from the jail. Despite still having his leg irons on, no one noticed that it was him that actually had escaped. And then he sort of mingled outside the crowd at night and walked towards freedom. Escape number one. Escape number two also happened in 1723. Jack was arrested for pickpocketing, which was a very common crime at the time. But this is also Georgian time. So if they didn't have room for you, they sent you off to a whole different country just for the crime of stealing an apple or a loaf of bread. So pickpocketing could have gotten you a pretty heavy crime if you were caught. In fact, pickpocketing was so popular that obviously 
executions were a main form of entertainment. So large crowds would gather to watch the criminal being executed. And what would happen? The criminals themselves would mingle amongst the crowd and then pickpocket the crowd while they're watching another criminal being hung. So it's very common. And when he was arrested, he was taken to a prison in Clerkenwell and locked in Newgate Ward. And he was actually at the time visited by his girlfriend, Bess, who was the barmaid that actually got him into the life of crime in the first place. And because she was kind of caught smuggling something to Jack, she was also arrested. And the two of them, strangely enough, were placed in the same cell, which was weird. And over the next several days, whether she smuggled a file into Jack, he fashioned one, someone else found a file to the both of them. I'm thinking maybe Bess had it on her and the police didn't thoroughly search her. But in one way or another, the two of them are in the same cell. Jack has figured out how to, he has a file. He files off the handcuffs of him and Bess. And as well as filing off a, a couple, two or three of the, the, the bars, all the cell windows. So together, they take their sheets, tie them together, and in standard criminal fashion, lower themselves out the window, hanging from the sheets. However, when they find themselves on the ground of the prison, they don't really, they realize that there's kind of nowhere to go because it's just the yard. It's not really outside the prison. So opposite from where they are, there's a whole nother wall that's about 22 feet tall. And they have to scale that wall, which puts them on the roof of the neighboring building. And then they escape to freedom. And it's said that Bess and Jack lowered themselves individually. It also says that Bess was piggybacking on Jack. For somebody who's kind of scrawny, he was rather quite strong. Either way, they both lowered themselves down a 22-foot wall and had to hike up another 22-foot wall to escape over the roof and off to freedom. So after that, they sort of laid low for a little bit, particularly Jack. And after the second attempt, Jack started to become a bit more famous, particularly for his escape attempts. The, the, the locals were kind of rallying behind him like, oh, you know, sticking it to the man kind of a thing. And there was a reward on Jack's head. So Jonathan Wilde says, if I snitch on him and he gets arrested, I get to get this reward like I've been doing to everybody else in my criminal circle. So he actually goes to the tavern and approaches Bess one night and is actually able to convince her to tell her where Jack was hiding, which is not cool. And then from there, Wilde is actually able to have Jack arrested for three different counts of robbery, take them to court. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to make the charges stick for the first two. They said, we don't have enough evidence. We don't think he actually did it. And as I said, most of the time at this time, particularly the police were corrupt and inept and they, you know, you, you get paid for doing as little work as possible. So Wilde wanting to get this reward on Jack's head, went out and did the legwork and was able to actually make the charges stick on Jack for the third charge. However, as there are still more escape attempts, Jack wouldn't stay in jail for very long. Side note, at one point during Wilde's career, in terms of rewards for things, because he was a thief taker general, he got bonuses sometimes for turning in other convicts. And his for a while, his standard fee of sorts was 40 pounds for every head convicted, which translates into about $7,000 American today's money per person convicted. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Holy moly. We had the 
oh, literally almost a year ago now, we had our Matthew Hopkins episode on Witchfinder General, and he got paid per person that was convicted of being a witch. So this isn't too unlike that in general sense. Talk about messed up. (laughs) Matthew Hopkins was messed up. That's for sure. Man, those Puritans. So while in prison for the third time, Jack was actually able to make or procure a saw again or a file. And this one's an interesting one. I've never heard of a, a jail cell quite like this. So there's the door. Once you, so, okay, you're going down the hallway and you see the different doors for the different cells. And Jack's cell, and there is a picture of this, instead of just straight iron bars in the, whole, the, the lookout opening that you can see into and out of the cell, instead of just bars straight down, it were, there were spikes. So you couldn't easily follow them off, let alone climb over them. And then you look down and then the cell itself was a little farther away from the opening. It was really weird. Jack's cell is said to have been at a corner. So the guards would sit in the blind corner behind the cell leading into the hallway. And then this particular row of cells had those spiked bars on them. So somehow Jack was able to get another file and actually saw off the spikes to the doors that the guards weren't paying attention to. I mean, this would have been over several days. And, and around the same time, he was able to successfully saw off enough of the bars to get himself through and also possibly feeling bad for having turned him in to Jonathan Wilde to have him arrested. Bess made a visit to Jack along with their friend Molly. And Jack is now in Nougat Prison, by the way. So this is probably explains the spikes on the, the, the doors rather than just bars because it's Nougat Prison one of the worst prisons in all of London. Now, this one is probably one of the most famous. This one and the last one, for sure, are the two most famous escape tents for Jack Shepard. So they came to visit, and they had a package with them, but either they smuggled it under their dress or they carried a package in and gave it to Jack. Somehow, they were able to get a, a small package of clothes into Jack's cell, probably with the girls distracting the guards while they were doing that. Definitely, Jack changed into the clothes. One of the girls went and distracted the guards who were also supposedly getting drunk because that was sort of their little watering hole where they would just hang out. And Bess helped Jack through the sawed off wooden spike portion of the door. They're all three dressed in women's clothing. And the three ladies walk out the door and no one's paying attention that there's an extra woman that wasn't there when they came in. Distraction. Mm-hmm. Good strategy. Mm-hmm. I meant to look it up. Uh, I didn't get around to it because I got distracted by an upcoming episode for the research for, the, for an upcoming research episode. Um, but mm. <laughs> stay tuned for next week. It's uh, horrific. But I wanted to check to, I wanted to, to look into how long it would take an average person to change into a standard peasant, lower, lower class clothing of Georgian women's attire at the time. Because depending on, because there are so many different layers to it. If Jack didn't already practice it before, he probably would be like, you put this on first. Now you, you got to lace that up. So I don't know how long it would have taken him to put all the layers of clothing on, but I'm presuming maybe, you know, with the girls there smuggling, Jack putting the clothes on and escaping all in maybe under half an hour, if anything. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Between getting there and getting out, maybe half an hour. So escape number four would, this is just insane. 
This is his most daring escape, but unfortunately it would also be his last. So October 1724, he found himself in Newgate Prison once again, and he would stay there until the 15th of October. Uh, also why there, while there, he would actually be put into what was considered to be the most secure cell in the entire prison, a place called the castle, because he's so well known for his escape attempts. Now they're like, you, you can't escape. You escaped once for Nougat. Nobody can do that. So now we're going to put you in the castle. So the day of the 15th, Jack's ally and another criminal that he usually works with named Blue Skin Blake. These guys have great names. Was being actually tried in the courthouse next door by Jonathan Wilde in order to get that 40 pounds on his head. However, unbeknownst to Jack, Blake would actually do something that would benefit Jack immensely. So instead of being taken to prison after being given the charge of guilty, Blake just said, nope, nope, I'm good. He pulls out a knife and in the general style of, if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me, cuts Jonathan Wilde's throat, leaves him for dead. And in the pandemonium of everything going on in the courtroom, the guards from the prison next door rush to the courtroom to try to quell the pandemonium, leaving Jack unguarded. Oh, yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Incompetence. A brutal murder is happening next door. You know, just all hands on deck, I guess. I guess, but you would think to leave at least one person behind to guard. Well, possibly. The artist. Well, you, you, you've taken this escape artist and you've put him in what is supposed to be an inescapable room. And a very He's still gonna figure it out. Oh, he did. Weirdly enough, oh, I, did. I think I personally think this escape attempt Jack just happened to look into. Oh yeah. So it's uncertain what time he made his escape escape attempt because I don't have the definitive time as to when the courthouse pandemonium was going on. But some sources say it started around four p.m. and he was out of the jail by one a.m which is a long time to try to be an escape, but it makes more sense. So Jack, with his very slight frame, being to his advantage again, was actually able to slip out of his handcuffs, think kind of Billy the Kid-esque style, found a bent nail in his, his prison cell because he was bound legs and arms again, was able to take this bent nail, pick the lock on his leg chains. So now he's completely, he has the shackles on, but now he, he's able to actually have his legs separated. So Breaking out of the castle via the chimney, he made holes in the chimney, shimmied up the shaft, and made his way up to the end of the top of the chimney. Once he made it out into the room above him, he found it locked. So using this bent nail, he made his way through six different locked doors on the upper levels of the jail into room after room after room, thankfully not finding anybody. And then he found his way up on the roof of Nougat Prison, which he had passed through using the prison's chapel, which he presumably had been in before, so he probably recognized the room. Looking out the window of the chapel, he kind of realized he's about 60 feet off the ground. So in his most daring escape and not realizing exactly where he was, he made his route all the way back down through the locked doors, down the chimney, into his original cell gathered up all of his sheets and anything he could tie and bind together took them with him back up the same route back over through the chapel and then lowered everything out the door or sorry out the window 
So he proceeded to get down to a certain point on the prison's roof, slide down on there, mosey himself onto the roof of a neighboring house. From there, he actually climbed into the house. He waited for a long time until the house was completely quiet, slipped into the house, walked out the front door, again, still wearing his leg irons. I'm surprised he didn't make a lot of noise this time. And soon while he was fully escaped from the prison, he was actually able to find a workman and convince him to remove his leg irons by claiming that he'd just been imprisoned on failure to pay child support and made the guy feel sorry for him. I'm going to bet he did make a lot of noise, but when there's a stabbing or a murder going on in a courtroom, there's a lot of people probably screaming. Yes, but as I said, that probably happened closer to around 4 p.m. He was fully escaped out of the jail by around 1 a.m. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he had to go up one route, go back down to get his bed sheets, go back up the route to get out to out through the the chapel window onto the roof. Huh. Mm-hmm. I just can't think of a scenario where that would make sense and no one would pick up the noise of the shackles. Right. That's why I'm thinking he looked into this last escape. So unfortunately, falling into his usual patterns after escaping, which means getting blind drunk, Jack was found two weeks later drunk on the street, during which time, during the time, during the two weeks he had escaped, he had actually apparently broken into a pawn shop, stole some fancy clothing, and was living it up while pretending to be a nobleman, and then was found so drunk on the streets of uh, of London, dressed in stolen clothing above his station, that he was so drunk, he didn't put up any resistance when the police actually arrested him and threw him into Newgate prison for a third time. So when he was arrested this very last time, or re-arrested, I suppose, the guards knew, well, the first one didn't stick. We tried the second one, putting you in the castle. Obviously, that didn't work. So we've only got one really big option for you. So they couldn't just put him into a cell. If anyone has seen Silence of the Lambs, if you remember about halfway through the movie when they're in Kentucky or sorry, Tennessee and Lecter is in that cage that is in the middle of a large room with guards watching him because he can't be trusted to not try to escape from a prison cell. Jack has something similar, but Georgian version. So they put him into a cage in the middle of a room and then also chain him up to a 300 pound weight. Or at least chain him up using 300 pounds of chain. That was a little unsure as to what exactly they were referring to. During his last stint in Newgate, he was actually able to put on, or quote, put on a show. So because he was so incredibly famous by this point, the guards actually charged admission for people to come in and see him leading up to his day of execution. In addition to that, while he was still in this cage and chained up, the king's portrait painter came and painted a portrait of Shepard. Townsfolk, who rallied for Shepard, wrote letters to King George asking him to pardon Jack. And he even became friends with writer Daniel Defoe, who wrote Robinson Crusoe, who actually wrote a biography about Shepard after his death. I will get into that in a bit. Yes. And then noticing that he was kind of, like I said, he was kind of, he'd already became and was now much more so a Robin Hood-esque figure for the locals and the lower classes. The court tried to get Shepard to, uh, on a plea deal, 
and said, if you tell us who your allies and associates are, we will reduce your sentence of death to penal servitude. Jack said, no, no, I'm, I'm going to be out of here in a few days anyway. So I'm good. Thanks. And thinking he would actually get a, find a devise a way out. He obviously didn't take the deal. So having not created an escape attempt prior to October 16th of 1724, Jack Shepard was taken to the gallows. Now, what's really, really interesting about this is because he become so notorious and a beloved outlaw for the locals. When Jack was sentenced and taken to the gallows that day, a third of London's population, which is around 200,000 people, turned up and lined the streets leading up to the gallows. It's actually said that the route from the prison to the gallows were lined with women in white who were crying for Jack Shepard and throwing flowers at him. And it's one of my sources said it typically just took minutes for the cart to take the prisoner from the, the prison up to the gallows because so many people turned out to see Jack Shepard. The minutes long cart ride to Tyburn from Nougat took hours because you could barely get through it, you could barely get through the crowd. So Jack being Jack had one last car to try. He had apparently somehow got a hold of a penknife and tried to smuggle it and his clothing on his way to the gallows, playing it to use it to cut his ropes. It was found and confiscated. So he's out of options. However, there was one option he was not aware of. Fans and friends of Shepard actually had another plan to save him, uh, again, unbeknownst to Shepard. So because hangings weren't accurate and you could have the hangman make the line too long or the line too short or depending on how heavy the person might have been maybe it broke so there's always inaccuracies in trying to there's no methodical mathematical way of figuring out how long to make the rope to make sure it worked at very least the first time so botch hangings were actually quite common and if you had someone whose neck didn't snap but the rope was slightly too long you would just leave them to suffocate which could take a very long time on average 20 to possibly up to 45 minutes of hanging and by suffocation if your neck didn't snap so just even worse actually so friends of jack's including daniel defoe actually planned to charge jack's body after he was hung cut the rope take him to the nearest doctor and try to revive jack presuming his neck didn't break into the actual fall because it was known that more often than not, the neck didn't break. And if you were very lucky enough and you were very quick about it, you could take the deceased or semi-deceased to hang criminal to a nearest doctor and have them revived. However, this didn't go to plan. After he was hung, the crowd, somebody in the crowd, it's, it's said that they said, oh, don't let them take Jack's body. They're, they're going to, to, to cut him up or something along those lines. So the crowd did not know that his friends had planned to revive him. And Jack didn't know his plan. His friends had plans to revive him and cut him down. So in the frenzy of Jack being hung, the, the crowd rushed his body, cut him down. But in the melee, unfortunately, because of the size of the crowd, the number of people, Jack was actually suffocated to death but just not by hanging so there are accounts of his death that state the crowd unknowing surged towards him grabbed his legs and pulled him while he was still tied up and alive to ensure that he had a quick death 
Again, some say that the crowd just rushed his body and attempt to free him, but he was already dead or starting to suffocate and they just wanted to free their Robin Hood. In either case, as I said, Jack was killed that day and then buried later that night at St. Martin's in the field. Sounds loverly. Thanks for loving me so much. That's <laughs> what that, that makes me think of. I've been smothered by your love. Oh, you said loverly and I'm going my fair lady. I'm going, what are you talking about? Yes, I did use loverly instead of lovely. Mm-hmm. But boy, oh boy, was that a lo- lot of sm- love smothering there <laughs> in the literal sense. <laughs> Death by love. Yeah. Very <laughs> odd. Well, because of Jack's rather famous escapes, he left behind a legacy. Can't say it's his greatest sum, but it's it's in existence. So as Melissa noted, there there was a, a whole life story written by Daniel Defoe, which uh, I'll give you the name in a minute. Uh, let's see. Several stories were written about Jack Shepard since, you know, he was so loved that he was trampled to death and he was considered a hero in his time. And one of the biographies, biographies of Shepard's life is Appleby's broadside biography which is the one that is debated if it is written by Daniel Defoe, it is believed to be. According to the biography, Jack Shepard was also the inspiration for the bigger opera character, McKeith, and a song titled Mac the Knife, which was inspired by the character McKeith, who was inspired by Jack Shepard. Hence, Jack Shepard was the inspiration to the song Mac the Knife. This song is made popular by Bobby Darren. I actually have a YouTube link to the song for everybody. So take a listen, take a listen. Wasn't that also a Sinatra song? Sinatra sang it as well, but Bobby Darren was the first one to do so. That made it popular. A couple of other artists, including Sinatra, sang sang Mac the Knife. That made it just kind of explode a little bit more. Another novel, which was just titled Jack Shepard, was originally published in 1839 and it was written by William Ainsworth. And it's actually published to this day. So it's been going on for, we've been publishing it for over a hundred years. We are, it's 2021. We are 18 years shy of 200 years of publishing that book. Been published for 182 years. It's a long time for a single book to be published. I was saying, especially when it's not a major author. I mean, Ainsworth kind of is, but I'm thinking more Dickens and Shakespeare and such. Yeah. Also, you know, the Bibles. Uh, it, uh, yeah, I guess. I, I'm thinking more fiction, or, or at least. I'm just thinking books and publishing in general. That's fair. And during his lifetime, he was a hero to the lower class. He flaunted the law and this legacy continues to endure after his death. So, of course, you know, the, these escapes are what really like put him out there and made him rather famous because who would think to do half the things he did? I'm going to escape through a 20 foot wall, climb down the 20 foot wall, have another 20 foot wall, climb up that 20 foot wall and go over that go back down that 20 foot wall that's a lot of feet to be climbing up and down okay there's books there's plays there's general performances i'm sure that he is mentioned in some video games at some point in some video games you know it's just a lot of video games now are taking some old stuff 
Why is there not a show about this guy or a movie? Or is there? Well, he is mentioned in Horrible Histories. I put a link to that um, in my source notes to watch that. No, I'm just thinking in terms of like Ocean's Eleven, but Jack Shepard style. He's not that exciting on a screen, I don't think. I on a book on a book I can see that on a screen I can see how this would be difficult to make into a movie or or a show because it's like four up four episode minisodes or something like or a four short mini four episode short miniseries or something like that one per escape I guess but it would really mainly just be focused on the escape which would take in a movie or like on a screen sense that would take up only about 15 minutes for all four 15 minutes each episode not necessarily you could certainly pen it out i mean yeah but people would get bored that depends instant gratification melissa instant gratification is necessary nowadays do you not know this <laughs> no i don't live on the internet yes i know but a lot of people love instant gratification Therefore, I can see why this would not really make that kind of make it a really great show. I think you could do like a, I mean, people, people like historical dramas and you've got a Robin Hood-esque figure that's beloved by the poor and the lower classes. He's quirky. He looks like the everyday person. He's got some interesting cohorts. And then you have Jonathan Wilde in there just for fun. I think you can make something out of it. We have differing viewpoints on that. <laughs> and also, he's he's in a lot of art, too. There's tons of drawings and paintings pertaining, showing off his escape artist attempts. A lot they're, of caricatures from the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're all over the place. They're up in the books. They're on paper. And it's just all over the place. But that that's his legacy is basically his escapes are his legacy and the fact that they were written down and drawn is really what keeps it alive today Mm -hmm. so if you read it if you read the 1839 book by William Zamesworth or if you have read it let us know what you thought I'm interested Mm -hmm. I might have to track it down and read it myself maybe if I can track down Defoe's biography I can see you doing both of those things yeah but that'll do for this episode of history explains it all oh there's something else mm-hmm. oh no i'm scared mm-hmm. no i'm kidding no that's next month yeah so uh format wise for october because it's october and we feel like going all out and having extra fun because why not so for october to give you a little prep we will not be having any weird histories. Instead, each week we're going to have a full episode for you. Yay! Yay! So a month have... of four full episodes. Yes, four full episodes. We televise it a little bit. So two of them are going to be biographies. One is about a place, which I chose because it's a fascinating place and perfect. It's the first one of the month. You're yes. going gonna to hear about it perfect for October (laughs) and then we'll be doing uh, two different episodes on haunted cemeteries we'll also be having 
one episode on a very rather famous a very heinous a, a very heinous biography on a yeah. very, on a specific heinous topic. and famous there you go it, it's both but you'll 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 understand or understand that's not the word i was looking for you'll see or listen in this case about it next month four full episodes and uh, starts next week well that'll do for this episode of history explains it all <laughs> and we hope to see you next week as we trek through history too <laughs> explain, explain. <laughs> <laughs>